Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. This is your host and founder of the Social Worker Movement, Jules Duje. Happy to announce that our show continues to play on WHCR FM 90.3 in New York. The Voice of Harlem. Super excited about today's show. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that this platform was created because too often we were overlooked as people. We were put in boxes, we were labeled, but that is no longer our plight. It is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's guest is amazing. I am so excited about today's show. It's one of those things that I've been thinking about for months and months. How can we provide our audiences with the best experience about learning about substance abuse? How can we unify our thoughts and energies to be aligned to support not only the work of this great person who is going to join us, but the work of all others who are out there who have questions, who might be struggling. Today's guest, Executive Director, Devin Markowitz. And she has so many roles, but for now, let's start with Executive Director of Casey's Cottage, Woman's Sober Living House. Devin, welcome. Hi, thank you so much, Jules. I'm so excited to be here. You know, for me, as I started putting this show together, as I mentioned to you, I've always had a mind on my community. I've always had the pulse of the city, just thinking about what is it that we can bring to make sure that everyone remains educated and that they're pierced and ready to understand the layers that are involved with this topic, which is so deep. Earlier, before, in my second podcast, I talked about mental health and how it does not discriminate. Substance abuse is no different. And what's different about this is that there are scenarios that really creep up on us and we don't know. Just tell us a little bit about what you understand substance abuse to be and how can you help our listeners understand that from that lens? Thank you so much again, Jules. And, um, you know, I just so honored that, you know, I've been given this platform to talk openly about substance, substance abuse and, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, reach as many people to help, you know, break the stigma and then educate. Because, you know, the thing is, is that we do need the education in order to break the stigma and be able to recover out loud and um, to help people feel comfortable talking about, you know, a, a topic that, you know, has, you know, a lot of tableau. Um, and, you know, with my experience, um, it's, it's really helpful to know that I didn't expect to be where I'm at today. You know, I didn't plan on, um, you know, being an alcoholic and addict in recovery. You know, off the bat, one of the most amazing traits about you is that you openly share about your recovery. Most times members that are in program rarely use this method. They remain anonymous. Why do you think it's important to share? 
That's a great question. Um, I honestly just have nothing else to lose. You know, I lost, I lost enough by keeping my secrets mm-hmm. and I really feel that um, I'm only as sick as my secrets and that I wanted to recover out loud so that I wasn't hiding and I can love myself unconditionally and truly be me. And I figured if I'm going to tell people I'm in recovery, I want to stay there. So it's almost selfishly that, you know, if I'm living an honest program that, you know, I don't want to also then have to say, hey, I relapsed. If I did, I know that I would have the support, but I also use my recovery out loud and being open to help me stay on the beam. Well, you come from Brooklyn, NYC. Walk us through a little bit about Devon, Brooklyn. Oh man, I love me some Brooklyn. Um, I lived in Brooklyn um, from 22 to about 31. Um, where I ended up hitting my bottom there, but um, you know, I had a wonderful time um, living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, working in Manhattan. Um, you know, that whole just you know fun, artsy lifestyle. Um, but my disease of um, you know alcoholism progressed while I was there. And I ultimately did hit my bottom um, in Brooklyn. So early on, let's just talk about what are ways that our listeners can begin to understand when you are struggling with addiction, what is the first thing that may or may not creep up? And you just shared that early on, because to you, you probably were young, you probably weren't thinking about that. Was it peer pressure? Was it you backsided? Walk us through. So for me, um, I went from being this, you know, party girl out in the scene in my early 20s to where I could kind of, you know, handle, you know, that kind of lifestyle. But slowly, you know, the blackout started creeping up more and more often. Mm. My hangovers were bigger. Um, and then I started not being able to keep my life manageable when it came to work and life, work and, and party balance. It just developed um, to kind of snowball in the wrong direction. You know, in in first, I just want to, you know, plug this. In New York, the Office of Addiction Services and Support, one eight seven seven eight hope new york That's one eight seven seven eight four six seven three six nine. New York's 24-7-HOPE line is there to provide information about substance abuse and gambling. In Connecticut, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services And you also can check on the National Rehab Line, 1-866-210-1303. I want to first touch base because let's use that 20, 21-year-old Devin because many of our teens who are listening to our show may think that they can overcome this. This is easy to deal with. I can handle it. What can you tell us about that? Absolutely. And, you know, I was that girl, you know, okay, I I finished college. College, I actually got, you know, kicked out at the first college, then went 
to a different school, eventually got my degree, mm-hmm. went to New York. Um, but, you know, I just figured, you know, everybody's living this way. This is part of what we do as a young person. I just turned 21. Um, you know, I am going to grow out of this. Mm-hmm. And um, I just accepted, you know, my kind of big part of your role as just kind of how it was supposed to be at that time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we both understand is that mental health and addiction go hand in hand. And many people may believe all I do is get high or all I do is use. I don't have the mental health issues. What can you tell us about that? So what I've learned is that the alcohol and drugs for me, I'm speaking for me. Mm-hmm. I, I want you know to share that those were actually um, amplifying my anxiety and my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol is a depressant. So yes, I would use that to cope but it would also make me more depressed. I didn't realize what I was doing. I was putting this toxin to my body and my brain to try to escape from issues that I was upset about or feelings I didn't want to feel. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I was actually fueling the mental health issues. It's pretty known that it's difficult to be young and you're taking chances and you're living your life to really rely on parents or rely on someone else that you can connect with and say, hey, this is my problem. So that's probably one of the most difficult things to deal with. What can you advise maybe our parents who may have suspicion that something is fishy about their son or daughter related to substance abuse? I would recommend that they come at the child um, with Compassion and tolerance, mm-hmm. non-judgmental, and ask the questions, why? Mm-hmm. Why are you feeling this way? Why? And, and, and engage in a conversation, mm-hmm. not um, coming from a place of judgment or punishment, mm-hmm. but to just connect and try to be there to understand, mm-hmm. you know? For me, uh, and, and, and thank you for like bringing that piece out, you know, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, well, we're giving you advice and you're not living in my situation. And many families, you know, struggle with this because they're not equipped. It probably comes up from behind. They're worried about what neighbors or other people may be thinking. But can you explain that through a lens of a period, it is a long journey, but it's very worthwhile. And I'm looking at the women that you support, the women that you continuously help. Tell us a little bit about you, even as the executive director and you're running this program, how difficult you're, you're doing two things at the same time. That is more than just, you're there trying to stay with your own program but you're giving the best advice. How difficult is that to walk and see these women that you could probably be their big sister, their their mom, et cetera? It can be difficult and, you know, it's been a challenge, but it's also been an immense blessing for me. Um, I do deal with a lot of families. You know, I have the resident, mm-hmm. I have the, the young ladies or women in, in the house that um, are my first priority. Mm-hmm. And I also have, you know, a lot of communications with their loved ones, whether it be their parents, their spouses, um, 
And, you know, what I recommend is to always keep the hope. You know, I always share my personal experience with those um, family members Mm -hmm. to know that, you know, if I can get here, anybody can get here. It just takes time. It's something clicks and it's worth the wait. Um, And it's also important to know that you not only got to keep the hope, but also for them to take care of themselves and let go and let the people that are there that are a little bit more educated in the situation to take the lead and to also trust. Not only are you super amazing, but you have these one-liners that, that really grabbed me. And there was one <laughs> recently on News 12 during one of your you know features. I made recovery my job and then I got a job in recovery. Yes. And you know what? I That had saved my life. That's why I'm sitting here today mm-hmm. because I lost my job in the corporate world. Um, and, you know, that was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, but I really had nothing else to do um, except, you know, go to 12-step meetings mm-hmm. and, and, and get involved in my recovery. Um, and I so I just made it my job. Somebody told me early on, you know, treat this like a job. Mm-hmm. And I could resonate with that because I always was a hard worker until I physically couldn't make it to my jobs anymore because of my addiction. So I knew that I had a work ethic. Mm-hmm. So that is what clicked for me. And everybody that finds something that clicks for them is the game changer. So when I treated recovery like my job, it all started connecting and flowing and my higher power came in. And then and all of a sudden, I got a job offer and recovery at Cassie's Cottage. Amazing. Which now you are the executive director. Yes. Not only a player, the player president. <laughs> my thing here is your work at Casey's Cottage. So beautiful. I mean, there's accountability. There are things that you guys do to have fun. Take us through that work. Oh, I'd love to. Um, you know, that's right. We do have a, a lot of fun because we live, we're living sober and we're still partying, but we're just not drinking and drugging, you know? And a lot of the things with the accountability that goes into um, what we do on a day-to-day basis is just rebuilding our confidence through esteemable acts and taking ownership for the little mistakes we make along the way because... We're allowed to make mistakes, but we just don't cope with drugs and alcohol anymore at the house. I love the word mistake. I love the growth mindset aspect that you bring to this. Tell us a little bit about a young lady who might enter the cottage and then relapse. That sense of guilt, that sense of shame. What do you say to her? So the first thing I ever say is, you're going to be okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And the goal for that person is to know that recovery is not linear. And it's about getting back up and taking the suggestions and, you know, starting fresh and continuing to just move forward. We got to, we got to get present. We don't want to look in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. We want to just use it as a, um, a um, like growing through what we go through. And, you know, to pick ourselves back up and, you know, in the environment that we have over at the cottage, we all rally together and and get that person, you know, to get back on track. We all have been impacted by this. So I'm super glad that we're having this session and this work is hard. There's nothing easy about this, but I think that what I see from you 
being a superhero, just doing so many things to make sure you put in this work and you understand that there is something that you get back from it. What's like one of your greatest things to get back when you are the executive director? What is it? So it's funny because I feel like the gift that I've been receiving um, as of lately in this area is to actually see the girl's perspectives and outlook on life change. Mm -hmm. Like to see when like it actually hits, you know, when they're, they're not fighting to not take a drink or a drum, but they're letting like the recovery wash over them and their thought process, thought process and their just attitude just changes it before my eyes. It's like unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's, it's what helps keep me sober. My thing is here, Devin, um, from that aspect, you have women who come to you from different walks of life, different ethnicities. There are many families, and I'm speaking to my Latino families, who may be impacted. Um, they may be layered with trauma. They may be layered with other things that are impacting their program or their willingness to try. But, but it's, it's also impacted, impacted their lifespan. Many families have incorporated abuse of substances as part of their like appropriate living lifestyles because my dad, because my mom did it. Tell us a little bit about those trauma families who language barrier or may be impacted with this triple layer event. Absolutely. So, you know, we are a product of our environment, right? And it takes a lot to kind of break that chain because um, we don't have to be. And, you know, I believe that as we do this other work and break stigma, some of these intercultural type scenarios um, will eventually start getting healthier mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I'm a product of, you know, an alcoholic father mm -hmm. that didn't end up finding um, the rooms of the recovery, um, but that he died and he actually um, died um, and was hit by a drunk driver. Um, and so alcohol abuse has, you know, has affected me directly and indirectly. And I was a victim of that for a long time, but it just, um, you know, I think there's, you know, this idea that we have to accept our circumstances and it just takes like something to kind of, you know, um, interject and break that cycle. And I know that it's definitely harder in certain cultures than others mm -hmm. and environment. You know, we call that here because this platform, as you all know, he's just, is just part of the why we do this work. Because we care, because we want, but there are times that we are propelled, that we're pushed into an uncomfortable situation. First of all, thank you so much for trusting us with the information, trusting us and being transparent about your dad, about the program, about all of the things and shout out to all of the programs who are out here supporting women, men, teens, etc. What is the toughest part of your job? when it comes to this work? So I think for me, the toughest part is um, when someone doesn't have the full support mm -hmm. outside of our environment and there's an additional layer 
um, because of, you know, estranged relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And then say there is a relapse and that person ends up needing to go back into a higher level of care, which happens, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, when there's not that kind of um, positive outlook facing now that scenario. So one example could be domestic violence, Mm -hmm. mental health, and now substance abuse. So how is this dealt with when all three come together at the same time? That is a trifecta, and that is a hard one. Um, I would say that if the person that is involved has the substance abuse, I don't believe that any of those other things can be addressed properly Mm -hmm. until that person gets sober. Mm -hmm. I really do believe that the abuse from the drugs and alcohol is going to make all of those scenarios, whether they're the ones being abused or anything else, worse because it just completely clouds, you know, the person's um, ability to fight for themselves. So when you're there counseling women who show up and they begin to tell you about their layered problems, your sense of empathy, your sense of wanting to say, I was there before, but you hold on and you have to wait. And now you have to break the news that we need to do A before B or C happens. How difficult is that information taken by a prospective client? You know, it can be extremely scary for the person. And, you know, I don't always um, receive you know, the open-minded and will, open-mindedness and willingness mm-hmm. because the person is still run by fear. And that's, you know, that's, that's very, you know, expected, you know, it's a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately really try to help the person understand that this is one day at a time, that for 24 hours, we just got to get through this day and try to like break it down in that way so they don't feel like they have to to battle all of those things in this moment. Mm. Could you like tell us, because I know that programs are different and when someone who is an adult, because a lot of my parents always say, I can't tell this person what to do. They're an adult. What can you tell us about that legal side? When can a parent stop saying, I can't unless they, you know, allow this to happen. Because this, that's one of the biggest questions. How do I stop this process or how do I ignite this to happen as a mom, dad, both? So it's interesting because sometimes it's got to get a little worse before it can get better. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend that the parents put their oxygen mask on and take care of them and put up a healthy boundary to then at least force a change with maybe some enabling, whether it's, you know, people know that they're doing it or not. Mm -hmm. But sometimes something has to, again, break the cycle. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that, you know, the family um, or the loved one, um, you know, starts taking care of themselves in the fact where, you know, maybe they go to a group, a support group, mm-hmm. and, and meet with other like-minded individuals to, you know, talk about how they're, like, you know, other parents, how they're dealing with it. There's a great um, parent, there's a lot of great parent support groups mm-hmm. um, here in Connecticut that I know of, and I always recommend that the families 
start taking care of themselves mm -hmm. as well. And I'm glad you brought that up because you, you, you said a lot. You said the word boundary. Mm. <laughs> but again, that is easier said than done. How typical is it for a parent to be okay in understanding, no, you need the treatment as well. And they say to you, I'm not using it. And you're saying to them, no, you need the treatment as well. It doesn't always go over that well. I'll be honest with you. Yes. You know, nobody likes to hear that they also need to do the work. You know, and that fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's a sick family system. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, just because the person, you know, the parents or the siblings or the spouses aren't the ones, you know, using or, you know, consider themselves, you know, the addict, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they are involved in the journey of how it all kind of got to this place. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs to get well. You know, spirituality is a big component mm -hmm. of what you do in program. Because anyone who understands the literature sees how it's worn, how you have spirituality linked in there. Why is that so important? So it's incredibly important. Um, I feel so, so blessed to really have a high, higher power and a strong connection to a higher power and trust in something that, you know, and my higher power is actually sobriety mm -hmm. because I know if I stay sober, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the higher power is what has enabled me to be able to trust the bigger picture. You know, you and I were playing phone tag for quite some time. And then finally, when we got to talk and we were just fell in love right there on the call. Yeah. Yes, yes, this, that, this, that. And, and, and for me, you touched me immediately. Like I was just like goosebumps just shaking. You said to me, I'm so glad you called me today. I'm so glad because today I was having a difficult day and you helped me today. How important is that? Because it just... It just shook me. And that's my higher power. Our higher powers were hanging out. And that's why we finally got connected after the home, the home tag. And I 100% I believe that. My higher power always has my back. Mm -hmm. And that's why now in my journey, when I do have a hard day, I'm able to tell you about it because that doesn't define me. And I trust that this too shall pass. And our phone call helps catapult me into the passing of the, of the hard time I was having. Your uniqueness, your style, and I get it. A lot of people don't like the upfront, here it is, I am here. But I'm telling you right now, being a straight shooter, it is very welcomed. And I think is understandable of the taboos that go with this, that no, it doesn't make sense. It, you know, there's some sort of code, and I do understand that and respect that. But I also have a lot of love and respect because you're willing to model for someone else how difficult this is. And you're not saying, I'm done, I'm over, this is not. What you're saying is, I am here learning from you as well. That is so big. Yeah. And I think that as we begin to learn about this, when a person enters program, whether they go to your location or someone else, what's a typical stay? for someone who's a first-time user who enters program? So what I recommend um, is about a three-month 
stay. Now, some people stay a year, some people, you know, stay a month. But for me, I feel like, you know, the minimum of the three months um, is is just a great time frame because you get a month to kind of settle in. It mm-hmm. takes a month to get acclimated. Mm-hmm. Then the second month, you're really living sober and doing things, building your network and your sober community while you're with us. And then the, the third month, it's about then applying all those things and building a strong transition out into your next foundation, whether that be home, whether that be, you know, an, an apartment with a new sober friend that you got or whatever that looks like. But then you get a full month to really implement that. And normally, too, the first two months, you'd also be doing an, in, um, an intensive outpatient program at one of the local um, facilities with us as well. Not only are you amazing. But the cottage house, Casey's cottage, I'm going to summarize here. Being a mother in recovery, I was resistant to go into sober living. After living my treatment, and I left my treatment because I didn't want to be away from my children. How difficult is that for a parent who comes to you and says, but who's going to care for my kids? How are they going to function? That is such a good point because I feel like that person is the most difficult um, person to approach to convince that they need some more time after rehab because you go from this bubble of rehab then home to your kids and a lot of times it's all the same triggers Mm -hmm. drinking after they leave you know to get on the bus or you're back in the same routine with the pickup and the drop off Mm -hmm. and so what I like to tell the ladies well, one, we allow the kids to come visit. If you're local, the kids can stay. We've had women have the kids spend the night a night um, over the weekends. And it's about, listen, if you don't take this additional time for yourself, mm-hmm. you might not be showing up at any of that stuff for a mother as a mother ever again. And sometimes it's like you're playing the long game, you know, just another couple of months to put your recovery first. It's going to allow you to be that mom that picks up those kids from school and has a fulfilling life with their family. You know, I'm I'm going to say this because there are so many ways to get caught up in this. And you talked about family. You talked about the possibility of living young, not understanding but there are many people who I've seen came from a very innocent kind of thing, playing games on their phone. One thing led to the other, COVID. What are these common stories that you hear that begin from what appears to be something innocent to a full-blown issue? So that's also um, a great point because recently I've had younger um, women come through that were in college and then COVID hit mm-hmm. and it was like they went from kind of the, you know, college, you know, mediocre, moderate parties to then being isolated and kind of, you know, developing depression and then drinking alone mm-hmm. on a college campus. Mm-hmm. And that progression hit very fast for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting because, again. I'm not saying that anybody should, in that circumstance, put a label on themselves, mm-hmm. but to definitely be aware that this is not healthy right now. This isn't looking healthy for me. And be open to the fact that it couldn't get worse. And I mean, a family member, a loved one, someone who now is listening to this and says, okay, I'm seeing something that's weird. 
You know, now I want to go approach my family member. I want to tell them about mental health. I want to tell them how this is connected and I'm worried about addiction. What is your advice to that person who is listening to us now? What's that best step to kind of first take about this? And you said no judgment earlier. What are other things that they can do? So I think the best way is to, you know, not attack the person or say, hey, you know, I've seen you acting like this or, you know, this isn't okay. I think it's to come in in a healthy way and say, hey, listen, let's have a conversation. When you have time, you know, I've noticed some things. I, I want to support you and I just want to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, in your creativity, we want to, you know, keep running more about you because you are a superhero. But for us, tell us a little bit about the fun part. The recovery of fun. And the other day, we were just talking, but the other day I saw a little short video of you and a horse kissing, loving the horse, the therapy piece of this. Can you tell us about this incredible experience? So my life has gotten so much bigger with the fun stuff now that I'm sober. I can do anything I want to do whenever I want to do it because I have the freedom to come and go as I please. And um, I recently got back into horseback riding, which is a passion of mine that I I gave up um, after my father had passed away um, when I was 13 years old. And, um, you know, I've been able to implement all these things back into my life that I love, that I lost mm-hmm. through my addiction. Mm-hmm. And the horses are just amazing. I can, you know, go and ride. I take lessons once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I love going out and um, listening to music. I, I like to host uh, fun sober night events with mocktails. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, art is a big piece. Of, of your life. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but let's talk about the work that your staff, that you encourage and that they do on their own, volunteerism, being one. Why is continuing to do other parts of life and work important for someone who either A, is receiving or giving this out as part of their recovery? Well, the opposite of addiction is connection. So to be strong and continue on your journey, you got to stay connected. You can't get stagnant. And um, you also want to share the message and, um, you know, do service um, because that's what's going to help you with your emotional sobriety. And it's going to help, you know, obviously uh, empower other people. So volunteering for whether it's, um, you know, Nonprofits and addiction. I just did an event um, last night for Shattered Group up in Greenwich. You know, I was just checking in people um, at the table and, you know, helping that event flow um, to raise money for awareness. Um, and also, it's just, again, when you're connecting with people, you're checking in on yourself too. Let me let you know because I've, I've checked you out on YouTube. I've seen the way you did it. You just go out there, straight business. Um, not only are you lovely, not only are you able to share your story, but you go out here proving that it's one day at a time. You don't come out here saying I'm some expert. You come out here really modeling for us and the world to see. And it's just like a beautiful flower. Thank you for that. I also want to say that how challenging is it for you to kind of lead your own organization with women in recovery and then working your own program. How do you fit this into a day, ride horses and do all of this? 
another really great point. And, um, you know what, I honestly, I am so grateful that I do have the job in recovery, Mm -hmm. but that job is not my recovery. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. Um, it definitely helps keep me sober, but I also make sure that I have my own, you know, recovery outside of that. I go to my own 12 step meetings outside of the house. Um, you know, but again, because of my sobriety, I can schedule a lot in my day because I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of focus. Um, so I do make sure that I create boundaries. Again, here's boundaries again, the scary word, um, with my job to have a work-life balance to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. Not only is she, she's just, I'm going to now let you in on something else, which when I saw this, I was like, okay. How in the world, the beautiful work that you do, she is a designer by trade. I mean, this woman is amazing and I'm going to put up on our site resources of of her, of her pieces, which are beautiful, incredible. Tell us about this work because that was kind of dormant and then you brought that back. How did that happen? So um, on my business card, uh, it says birds in Brooklyn and currently creating in Connecticut, but I was going to change it actually to like bottoms in Brooklyn <laughs> because, you know, it was something that I lost. It was a, it was a side hustle kind of hobby. Um, I do have a fashion design degree, um, but I, um, you know, loved working with leather and I had this handbag that my grandmother had given me that was, you know, um, inspired my, my canteen clutch design. Um, that I make through DMARC's design. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it never went anywhere because my disease progressed. And I never I never had the confidence to to get it going. And um, I, I relaunched it um, once I got sober. And it was just something to keep me busy and have, you know, I need that creative bucket in my recovery mm-hmm. to keep me sober. Now, DMARC's really, I'm talking about, it's the bomb. Let's just talk about what do you have the proceeds go to something? Is it, tell us about that. So um, I have done, you know, charitable events. I donate um, bags regularly for silent auction items um, at the Liberations Program. Um, this weekend, you, um, people can get a, um, a bag at the silent auction at the Serenity Project in Darien. Um, so I donate bags for charitable um, events. Have you come across people in program who are upset about how you're doing your recovery that you're outspoken has that ever been a challenge for you or people like i'm not down with that yeah i've run into that in the past um i think i just chose to keep going but then also respect maybe some you know terminology that i use that i maybe i shouldn't and be again accountable for my own word choices and not break anybody else's anonymity and all that stuff so i think it's just more so about res- um, res- mutual respect love you for that because you're always mindful about yourself first and you bring accountability and then you put yourself right after what do you do for self-care i mean i know you bust out the workouts you know you do the horses then you're designing. If you have time, what is it that you have for self-care if you have any time left? Oh, my God. So I still have time left, but I still do the self-care stuff. Um, you know, 
you know, sure, self-care to me isn't always like the manicure or the facial or anything like that. It's more about the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make sure that sometimes I just take a beat. You know, I push the pause. I let myself rest. Um, I've really been focusing lately on meditation. Um, and that actually I get a little bit through the horseback riding. So I'm very present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, have... Really, I'm not good at just the, the the typical sit there meditation and all that. I use other things like whether it's a walk and being mindful mm-hmm. and also breathing um, in like Pilates or yoga mm-hmm. has really helped me connect in the present moment and get meditative. So now tell us about DMARX. What's a typical business day there? Do you wait for orders to arrive? Do you say this week is for this and this week is for that? Or how do you how do you juggle that? You know, it's funny because again, I let my higher power lead DMARX design. So when I have time, I might go through a burst where like, you know, I'm offering a sale or I'm doing a pop-up shop or I'm posting more on my Instagram page. And then sometimes, you know what? I got a little bit busier in this category of my life and like DMARC's design just chills and does its thing and then I get back to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I try to always be involved in, you know, some kind of, um, you know, local artist thing markets or, you know, just kind of, you know, get the word out uh, on my Instagram. But I implement my recovery on the business page. Um, I put a lot of my favorite slogans on and I, and I talk about how, sobriety actually runs it actually is like the you know the foundation of my business because if i wasn't sober i wouldn't have dwax design so i shared the story through the page as well in the business now for our young business people who are uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or our vets who will want to start their own business a lot of people have had dreams and why not is what you always say what can you tell them about trying to extend their dreams on the business side? I would say just go for it. Don't wait until you're ready or you have this money or this or that. Like I started this with nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and so then it just kind of supports itself now. But, you know, don't hold out on your dreams. Just go for it and figure it out along the way and just be open minded um and just um you know let it take its course don't try to control it just let it become what it's meant to be have you had a scenario during your business day that you say there's something i forgot to do and how do i get across to that would i have time to do that whether it is the living sober whether it is something you needed to do for yourself or is it something that you wanted to do for someone else how difficult is that so that can be difficult because one people in recovery or people that are not in recovery i mean we can be people pleasers we can be very hard on ourselves we can beat ourselves up and i mean i can go down a rabbit hole as fast as anybody Mm -hmm. you know the self-hatred or the hopelessness or whatever but you know i have the tools today to say okay let me just communicate Mm -hmm. Rather than hide or, you know, say I missed an appointment or I meant to help somebody with something, I couldn't make it. It's just about communicating. If I, you know, didn't, you know, get an order out in time, it's about communicating. Maybe I re- maybe I refund the shipping. You know what I mean? That's right. And it's just about not hiding and just talking. 
you know, I want to share some resources that you've extended to us, and I plan to also add this to my site. There's no particular one that's better than the other, but for resources, the New Canaan Parent Support Group is a resource, ncparentssupportgroup.org, Shatterproof. Shatterproof, that's S-H-A-T-T-E-R, proof, P-R-O-O-F, dot org, Courage to Speak Foundation. And that is Courage to, which is T-O, speak, S-P-E-A-K dot org, A-A dot org, A-L dash A-N-O-N dot org. So many places that we can find supports. And I think that your last answer, communicate. Please reach out to someone. Reach out to a loved one. Someone like Devin. Someone not like Devin. A friend, a person that you can trust. But tell someone. What is the first thing that you think someone who is burning out, like you, but has multiple jobs, who is trying to be in program, has to think about during their day, how can they pace themselves? So it's hard to do, you know, um, I personally can fall into a trap where I over schedule myself and that's a danger zone. So my danger zone is either being too bored or overly stimulated. Either, either two of those things can be a bad um, area for me and it can push me closer to a drink or a drug. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say the first thing to do is to Acknowledge it mm -hmm. and push the pause and then just try to do better and just say, hey, listen, maybe I need to take this off my plate, but I'm just going to do what I can today. You know, I want you guys to take a look because this site and pictures won't do it justice. Obviously, you need to visit to see you on your own. And, then this, and if there's ways to donate, please let us know so that Devin can get in contact with you in that way. But Casey, C-A-S-S-I-E, cottage.net. And let's just talk about this. Daily morning reflection, daily in-house recovery, meetings, TED Talks, one-on-one, -on -one, family support. Which of these you believe need to happen? Do they all happen at once? How does this day look up? So the day, the day is just amazing. And, um, you know, we always start, I mean, and everybody has things that they have to do throughout the day. You know, we wake up, we do a morning reading and people go off and either go to their IOP or their job. Um, and, um, you know, we then also circle back in the evening and reconnect. And that's where the content talk will come in. I do taco Tuesdays. I'm always looking there on, on, uh, Tuesdays. Um, and then, you know, we do fun things at the house, um, together on a regular basis. This is amazing, but anyone in anywhere who's in program usually gets this job assistance. Program is so rich. Program is unique in every particular way. Every single person. What is it about? Your spot. What is it about Casey's cottage that people just need to know? I think what is most important is that our goal is to really support people building a fun network of sober people and having a safe place to redesign their life and create one worth living. 
You know, I saw here creative writing. So you're allowing the spirituality, as you mentioned earlier, to happen in so many different ways. Correct. And I, I really enjoy that you, I can see your fingerprints all over this. There's just different things that maybe ideas that you've brought up. How is a Devon idea taken versus a staff person? Is Are these all yours? Are these team? How do you guys come up with these? So I'm really lucky that um, the staff that I have are all just rock stars and I encourage them, you know, to bring their, and everybody's in recovery as well that works there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to really bring their flavor, you know, to the game and, you know, on their shift, you know, maybe they're really into art. So they want to do like a vision board night or they want to do a knitting where they want so the managers on duty can kind of you know curate their evening and their activities based around their strengths and invite their recovery into the home as well and i really thank you because earlier on when we talked about like a length of stay you said that you're recommending three months at least to get the work in to get deep and that may have boundaries that may have taken risk and in making some immediate changes and some of us are really put into that, but what are some of the requirements that you're asking people and families when they're trying to sign up for a program? So, you know, the requirements is that, you know, one, I mean, obviously for the resident that there's absolutely, you know, a zero tolerance policy um, they're drinking or using. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, when it comes to, you know, people then, you know, getting more um, opportunities to do things outside of the house, mm -hmm. um, that there's just, you know, a uh, respect of the rules while they're, I don't even like to use rules. I think we have standards and expectations, right? Um, but one of the main requirements is, is that they also um, are enrolled in an IOP mm -hmm. or have, you know, um, uh, therapists, you know, we have people that are on Husky, so mm -hmm. we find those resources, you know, for them. We don't expect people to have that done while they're there, but to be open to getting on board once they're there. And for my New York listeners, Husky in New York is Medicaid. It's yes. about the same thing. Um, one of the things that touched me during our conversation, and I believe could be one of the toughest things for you as a leader, as a person in recovery, that someone relapsed, how difficult is that for you to take that? You know, um, I also have to manage my expectations of this disease, you know, and again, it comes from a place of no judgment. And, you know, I'll repeat that I said, you know, recovery is not linear. And, um, but, you know, I would be dishonest if I didn't say that sometimes I, I, do take it personal and it hits me because I get very connected and close to these women. Mm -hmm. So it is hard um, for me, but I also know that, you know, this disease is just, you know, cunning and baffling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the person's fault. Yeah. And and you brought that word I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking about it's universal. It really is difficult and terrible. And everyone has been touched by this in some way, shape, or form. Tell us how people can reach you. Tell us how people can connect with you. Tell us about Instagram. How can people find you? Because I know you're amazing and I'm hooked since I met you. 
How can people learn about you and your beautiful journey? Oh, thank you. Um, I would love to connect with as many people as possible and help as many people um, that I can. Um, you know, I have my um, Instagram and Facebook. I, you know, I have a Gmail account. We can give you all that information um, to post for our listeners. Um, I'm very active, you know, in the, the local community. Um, I, I even, you know, if somebody contacts me and they want to meet for a cup of coffee, I make the time. Mm, so amazing. Right now, tell our listeners something to remember you by, because you're so amazing. So much to talk about, whether it's DMARCs, whether it's you, whether it's the horses, whether it's the pets, the cats. The- oh my God, my dad. I love her. Can you, can you... Give our listeners something, because I know this is not the last time that we're going to connect. And you have found a friend in me, obviously. And I also want to think that that's the same for you, because I I am just hooked in a positive way of your knowledge, your richness, and your power, your ability to make things happen, to make moves that makes everyone else move. What can you tell our listeners and leave them with something? Well, first of all, I am equally just honored and, and love that we connected. And I hope that we definitely, you know, keep going with this. And um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and uh, just speak on all this that I'm so passionate about. Um, you know, something that I just love to put out there that I personally have been taking really that heart for myself right now is to let go and be free. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just such an easier way to live. You know, just start trusting that, you know, you can do this. Um, I know like people don't know my whole story listening, but if I can do it and I'll get emotional, like if I can do it, anybody can. Mm-hmm. Um and it's worth it. It's worth at least trying. Love you, girl. <laughs> and remember, he's just a social worker was born because too often we as people, they told us that we can't. We were labeled. We've been put in boxes. We won't be overlooked. Look out for us at a town near you because our plight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. I want us to remember that we are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Remember to think about you and think about others and think about the impact that you have in this life and the people like Devin who make our lives better because they're willing to take one for us to show us the way. Stay brave, be positive, and look out for us because we're coming for you soon. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker.